Welcome to Paving the Path. I'm your host, Shiva Mirosaini. People know me as a customer experience champion and a digital executive at Fortune 50 companies. I plan on paving the path in my show with women game changers, thought leaders, and executives touching the entire spectrum of digital transformation in healthcare. Join me in exploring the digital renaissance that's shaping healthcare today and forever, changing the future of wellness, care, and health. Welcome to another episode of Paving the Path. Today, my guest is Amanda Golds. She's the U.S. lead for worldwide healthcare, venture capital, and startups at AWS, responsible for managing a portfolio of digital health companies and driving opportunities with AWS's enterprise healthcare and life sciences business. She has dedicated her entire career to healthcare, and she has the vantage point from policy, insurance, provider, and now technology. I'm very excited to have this conversation with her. Welcome, Amanda. Welcome to the show. Shiva, thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Amanda, uh, you and I have exchanged notes, but uh, just curious for our audience, tell us something about you that gets you up in the morning and gets you going. Absolutely. So I think what's exciting and interesting about what I do in healthcare is that there are no end of problems to solve. There's room for everybody. If you're excited about making a different future for patients in our system, if you're excited about helping people access high quality care when they need it and achieving the quadruple aim of right care, right time, right place with physician and patient satisfaction, then there's a million ways to be helpful and useful in improving our healthcare system. And certainly there's long range goals and visions for new ways to create incentives and and new business models. But every day there's an opportunity to do something different. So what gets me out of bed in the morning is to say, you know, as a challenge to myself, as well as to others, what am I going to do differently in healthcare today? What am I going to challenge? Am I going to challenge the idea that we have to file a claim for every single element of care that is delivered? Am I going to challenge the idea that insurance is the right way to deliver healthcare to a population? Am I going to challenge the idea that people can't make their own health decisions without interpolation from experts? I don't know, but the day is going to have at least one of those questions and I get an opportunity, as does everybody that I'm privileged to work with, to give a different answer. I love that, Amanda. Amanda, the warrior, that's how you start your day. (laughs) Absolutely lovely. Like I said in, in the intro, you have truly dedicated your career and it's a very rich career to healthcare and you have had the different vantage points from where you sat in the industry. Can you give us up to speed, quick summary of your background and what brings you to Amazon at this point right now with your current role. Absolutely. And Shiva, you are giving me far too much credit. It sounds like I set out to organize a tour around the healthcare system, spending time at each major stakeholder so that I could be equipped to bring all of that knowledge to an enormous technology platform. I only wish that that were so. It was entirely a fortunate journey aided by many mentors and people who took a chance on me that I was able to spend time at the big P's in healthcare, payer, 
that was Aetna, a provider system, actually two of them, a public-private enterprise called New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation, the Safety Net Hospitals of New York. And then at the other end of the provider spectrum, an academic medical center, which was then called Partners and is now Mass General Brigham. So I saw two sides of the provider coin. Purchasers, so the big self-insured employers who spend money to insure their employees and dependents. So I worked for Pacific Business Group on Health, which is a coalition of 60 of those employers, collectively spending $12 billion annually on health benefits. And then at Pharma, another P, uh, you mentioned BTG earlier. I was the uh, global VP of innovation there, trying to figure out ways that we could involve data from the patients and communication and engagement with our patient communities to improve their experience of being on the therapeutic. And then it doesn't fit nicely into the letter P, but spent some time in government as well for California Health and Human Services building health information exchange. So I guess we could call that P for policy. And what I learned in uh, that journey around, which sounds like a, a lovely coherent story, but believe me, was entirely accidental as I was trying to just get deeper into the system, gather information. Okay, well, you know, it seems like providers are the problem. Well, I'm, I'm working for a hospital and they're not the problem. Insurance is the issue. Aha, I will go to Aetna and find out what's wrong with insurance. Well, yeah, they're struggling with some of the same system incentives that everybody else is. It's really the employers who aren't acting to make things better. Well, they're constrained by very powerful forces as well, and they don't really have the levers to press to move it. Go to the state. Everything begins with the law, right? Surely the government will fix this. Well, they're beholden to continuity and broad mandates to provide services to everybody, and so they can't rock the boat too much. And then I end up at Amazon because say what you will of Amazon, the one thing we can all agree on is that it is one of the largest forces for changing consumer behavior that we have ever seen, right? It changed the way we shop for books. It changed the way we shopped for everything. It changed the way we browse shelves. It changed the way we stock our homes. In COVID, it did a lot more than that. And so I figured, surely there's a way at Amazon to deliver healthcare in a totally new fashion, to instill a store mindset, if you will, shopping behaviors for consumers in healthcare, to make them aware of options they never had before, to give them comparative experiences, to reach into their homes in a way that health plans and pharma companies and even sometimes doctors are not always welcome to do. But you trust Alexa, the voice assistant. So what if Alexa was telling you to take your medications? Might you respond differently than you getting a postcard in the mail every month? So that's why I came to Amazon. Now, it's interesting. Obviously, I've spent my entire career only at healthcare institutions. Amazon is my first tech company. I was so, I'll tell you a story just by way of how naive I was as to the the depth and breadth of Amazon's business lines. So I'm new to my first role at Amazon about four years ago. I'm working for Alexa Health and I get an email from a colleague from the larger Alexa team about how Grammy notifications are now available on Alexa. It's a launch email. They're saying you can now ask Alexa to, to give you Grammy's notifications. And so I read this email and I think, oh, how wonderful you can ask Alexa to check on your grandmother and to see if your grandmother's gotten out of bed and if she's taken her medication. No, it's the music Grammys. It's the Grammys, the recording artist Grammys. But why would I ever get an email about the Grammys at work? So I'm still adjusting to a world in which 
we do things other than healthcare. I, I hear we have a very successful retail business as well, but I am I am privileged to be able to focus purely on healthcare at Amazon. Oh, that's a lovely, lovely background and summary. And I do not take back what I said. It's a very rich, very wholesome background. And that's why I reached out to you for this for this episode. I actually did not know that AWS had a program for startups in healthcare. So more the reason why your presence means a lot for our audience. Tell us about this program that you manage across the country. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So I think most people are familiar with AWS, cloud storage and data analytics for big enterprise. So within that, we have uh, two groups, shall we say, of healthcare enterprise customers, as we refer to them. We're customer obsessed, so we focus on what those big healthcare enterprises need. In the world that I focus on, it's academic medical centers, not-for-profit hospitals, state and local governments, and federal health agencies. There's an entire other group that focuses on health IT, life sciences, pharma and med device included in there, genomics, and other what we call commercial enterprises in healthcare. But I focus mostly on the care delivery system. Health plans are a little bit in the middle. If they're using public dollars, as in Medicare Advantage or Manage Medicaid, then I get to do exciting work with them. But some of their other efforts in more private health insurance are handled by a sister team. So what I do is I go to, I start always with the customer. That's always what we do at Amazon. So I go to those hospital systems and state and local governments and federal health agencies. And I say, what problems are you trying to solve? Forget about innovation for one second. Forget about, you know, blockchain, AI, virtual reality. Those things are great. But instead of focusing on the solution, tell me the problem. What is it that you're trying to do? And they'll say things like, I need to achieve my equity goals in access. I know that providing health access to underserved communities or providing the same standard of care to different communities is a challenge. And honestly, I don't know where to start. Or they'll say, no, Amanda, honestly, the biggest problem I have right now is that my workforce is demoralized, burnt out, and leaving by the droves. These problems are big problems. They're important ones, but you'll note that they're not technical problems, right? They're sort of global issues that are meeting all of our challenge in healthcare. We all want to do the right thing. We all want to deliver the best care we can. We want to live up to our role in society, but there are serious challenges. So I, my job is to take that problem and say, great, you're doing the best you can with what you have in your enterprise. Let me go outside to the world of innovation and disruption, to the startup ecosystem, and see if I can find new solutions to those problems. So a new approach to a traditional problem. That's, that's really where I think innovation is able to flourish. And I put out an application around those themes. Most recently, we just closed our application for workforce retention, retraining, and deployment. So how do you keep the people you have and make their lives easier? How do you give them the tools to deliver care in a post-COVID virtual or home care world? And then how do you make sure everybody's operating the way they want to operate? Not just to the level of licensure, we talk about that a lot, but do they have enough time with patients? Do they have enough time to do what they want to do? Are they getting back to the value proposition of being healthcare in the first place? Or are they swamped by a million administrative or manual tasks? So I put out that call. We get hundreds of applications from all over the world. 
we sort those applications. At this point, we work with a delivery partner who helps us do this. We narrow that down as much as we can. And then we have those companies pitch to us. Out of that, we select a final cohort and we run them through what we call the AWS Healthcare Accelerator, now global workforce. In the past, we've done health equity, access, and justice. And we also run an accelerator just for solutions for the National Health Service in the UK. We're running one about aged care in Australia. And so we have different themes all over the world, but I'm going to return to the workforce one because that's the one that we're in the middle of and I'm really excited about. Once that cohort is selected, they'll run through a five-week program where we give them all the tools that we can as AWS. Some of it's really practical stuff so that they're ready to actually go to market with a hospital or a state and local government or a federal health agency? Do they have appropriate data security? Do they have the right certifications? Can they fill out a hospital procurement survey? Do they know the limitations and priorities of a hospital's IT system? Some of it's a little bit more business oriented. So is their customer really the customer that they think they're gonna sell to? Or do they have to go through an intermediary? How do they prove ROI? How do they express their value proposition? What data? do they need to really show that they're making a difference? And who do they compare themselves to? After that program, there's a demo day. We celebrate the startups for surviving the accelerator program. And then we do one-to-one deals with those AWS healthcare customers. Now, a lot of people ask me, Amanda, you know, why do you do this? Do you take equity in the startups? Do you have, you know, do you manage a VC portfolio? No. I have relationships with VCs because they can help get access to capital that startups need to grow. But I don't need to take equity. Amazon doesn't take equity in the startups. Our value proposition is this. If we make AWS a really hospitable and successful place for startups to grow, we're going to get the best companies for the future. Second, if those startups come to us and if the hospital accelerates its solution of the problem, if they achieve their equity goals, if they retain their workforce, that's great for us as well. That's AWS serving the needs of our customers. So it's very aligned with our mission in AWS. And it's very aligned with my personal mission of seeing these great solutions get traction. That's wonderful. And um, just to clarify the difference that people may see this program with the ones in the marketplace like Y Combinator or some of the tech stars around the country is that it actually has a theme. So you assign the theme on the basis of the biggest problems you hear from the healthcare institutions around the country. So that way you already have a leg up in terms of where the starting point is. And two, you are the connector, essentially. There is no equity taken in these companies, which further aligns the incentives, you know, for the good of the the solution or matching the solution to the problems that Amazon and you have identified. Can you tell us a couple of examples of post-launch, what happens to some of these startups? Do they become part of AWS's ecosystem in terms of accelerating their go-to-market? Maybe one or two tangible examples would help. Absolutely. So they do become part of our ecosystem. We're constantly promoting them and sharing them and well beyond demo day, getting them attention, offering them to 
our customers working with the account leadership at AWS to identify if their customer has a particular need that one of our startups could meet. And then we're also assisting as much as we can with some of the trickier pieces of the data integration that's necessary. If the startups on AWS and the, the hospital system or the or the federal agency is storing their data in AWS, we can help out with some of the, the integrations if we, you know, given the level of permissions that the customer has set over their own data, which we always respect. So we can we can be a practical use as well, I like to say. But some examples of of success, and you know, this is really what I'm most proud of because it's so hard. I only know about healthcare, but I like to think that there's an extra degree of difficulty for adoption of innovation in healthcare given the very logical resistance to risk and the few incentives to take the risk to innovate, actually. So I want to mention one record, which is a very cool personal health record solution that was in our very first cohort. So they went on to be acquired and it was a private deal, but they developed their technology and learned from engagements with our customers to such a degree that the uh, healthcare enterprise acquirer felt that they were absolutely necessary to transforming their business. So that's fantastic. So good exit there. Second is one of my favorites from the equity cohort, uh, Zocalo Health. So they provide primary care to Latinx populations. And on the back of our accelerator, they raised a $5 million round in a very tough fundraising environment just because of you know, the work that the founders had done to identify a problem, develop a really elegant community-based solution to it, and start delivering on the promise of extending primary care, which when delivered is incredibly helpful in advancing health outcomes. It may be the most important driver, frankly, as it's it's usually the gateway for individuals into the healthcare system to communities that have historically been woefully underserved. So to see them get $5 million in a tough environment and with you know equity-based solution was really, really heartening. So we've gotten some feedback from you know the, the private deal market, from VCs, from others that that the startups that we're picking are the ones with a bright future. That's wonderful. It's a good segue to really focus on what Amazon's notion of customer obsession and customer centricity is all about. And it it resonates in your selection of some of these startups as well. But let's dive into that a little bit more. One of the trends that we are seeing in the marketplace is the shift from the notion of patient to consumers and really treating patients as people, as wholesome with all of their needs. There's a ton of literature around social determinants of health, you know, the clinical aspect of care only delivering somewhere around 20% of the outcome, your DNA around 30%, but really the social determinants of health, your belief, your lifestyle, all of those things really delivering much of the outcome in terms of your health. Tell us about kind of your vantage point, not just from Amazon, but holistically from your experience. How do you feel about kind of the trajectory of consumerism in healthcare? Is it realistic? What are some of the headwinds or tailwinds and where are we headed? It's such a great question and, and we could talk about this forever and I would I would love your thoughts and your listeners' thoughts as well because I think this is best handled as a as an open dialogue with the community bringing their opinions and, and hashing it out. I am very distrustful of anybody who has the answer 
to consumerism in healthcare, right? I can tell you about some mistakes we've made as an industry or, you know, I've personally made. And I can tell you about some bright spots that I think are rich avenues for future exploration and investment. But I would very much hesitate to say I have I have the answer on how to build a perfect consumer model. So I would say a couple cautions, a couple errors or mistakes or things that we've tried in a well-meaning way that have not worked out the way we expected. So number one, I just want to validate what you just said. You are absolutely right. The strongest indicator of your future health outcomes in the United States is the zip code in which you live. There's a lot more complexity and depth to that, which is the entire study of social determinants of health. But that raw fact needs to take greater dominance in healthcare policy and planning. We spend a lot of time tweaking how we deliver care and how we compensate healthcare workers and how we organize insurance. We don't spend nearly enough time on the basics of public health, community health, and what actually influences individual outcomes. So I I think we're learning that. I think COVID was a very sharp lesson for all of us in that. And I am very heartened by the current administration's investment in public health. I think that's a a nice, while I I mourn the tragedy that was COVID, I think that was a, a very nice corrective. And I would like to see us learn more from that. The second is an overconfidence, shall I say, in free market dynamics in healthcare. Healthcare is not a natural good. Nobody likes healthcare. Nobody shops for healthcare the way, you know, I am delighted by being able to shop for shoes. If you're healthy, you pay no attention to it whatsoever. (laughs) You take it entirely for granted. If you're sick, there's no shopping behavior. The idea is ridiculous on its face. What, What you want when you're sick is to feel better. You do not want to purchase healthcare goods. You want to find the quickest route, if you can, back to full health. And if that's not possible, you want to recover as much function as quickly and as painlessly as possible. That is not a free market of buyers and sellers. That is, if you're an economist, you call it a negative externality. If you're a public policy person, you call it a, a non-normal good. But you know, whatever it is, free market economics are not going to solve that. Another complication is the natural psychology of people. Cake tastes good tomorrow. I mean, I'm sorry, cake tastes good today. I think we can all agree on that. Cake tastes good today. Diabetes hurts tomorrow. Hectoring, nagging, and shaming people for bad healthy habits, for ill health and poor lifestyle choices does not work. We all know this, but we keep doing it. That's not the way the human brain responds to short-term incentives and long-term punishments. So we need to think a different way about the built environment and how we make certain choices easier than other choices. You know, telling people that it's their fault is clearly not working. So we have to deal with human psychology and personalities. We have to deal with the built environment, some of which is in the healthcare system and some of which housing, education is not. We have to deal with a free market capitalist society in which we're trying to deliver something that more closely aligns to a public good. And I think the experiments that we've done in the midst of all that have been difficult. I mentioned the kind of, you know, behavioral psychology piece. But another thing I want to mention, and and this is where I'm pointing the finger purely at myself, is two other times in which we've assumed that the best wishes would trump incentives and actually incentives trump even the most well-meaning. So the first is consumer-directed health plans. We felt that if we gave people a higher deductible and let them make choices and gave them a store in which different options were priced, that they would make the right decision. 
It's not that they didn't. It's that that store doesn't really exist in any kind of sensible way because all of your healthcare choices are interpolated by the employer choosing your health plan, the health plan negotiating a network, and the providers accepting a certain contract from the health plan. So you're hardly making choices, not to mention it takes a master's degree, I know because I have one, to even understand what those choices are. So that was an unreasonable expectation for us to think that if we gave people control over their shopping behavior, that they would make smart choices when we did not give them the tools to do so. So I think we're learning from that. The second mistake that we made, again, pointing the finger at myself, is we thought if we made electronic health records electronic, got everybody off of paper, and we invested heavily in making health data fluid, that that would solve a lot of problems. But we forgot about powerful incentives that already existed in the healthcare marketplace. Even if I'm seamlessly able to send an MRI from one system to another just by pressing a button, that does not mean that that second hospital will accept it. They have powerful incentives, not because they're evil, but because they're running a business to do a second MRI because that's revenue to the hospital. So simply making the data widely available, even though it is absolutely the right thing to do, does not solve all of the problems in healthcare. So I think we're learning as we go. We're learning from our mistakes. We're building better models. We're starting to think more wisely about issues like healthcare literacy and what options are available to underserved communities and what choice when you have private health insurance really means and whether the money to spend is the issue or whether simply knowing how to navigate the system is more important. I see some really promising solutions from my startups that cover all of those. That's really interesting, Amanda. And just to rephrase what I heard, the notion that the incentives are aligned in healthcare and there is transparency and choice so that consumers can actually make not just wise, but informed decisions is something that we are probably years, if not decades behind. And depending on policy and how quickly we can align those incentives, the rate of not just innovation, but passing the bridge of becoming true consumers is going to be different. That said, there is a ton of energy behind not just the investments, but the behavior of healthcare systems, payers, you see a ton of integration up and down the value chain with, you know, payers, you know, and to your point, really driven by driving a better, more profitable business, but along the lines also addressing more of the needs from the patients and the the members or the, the, the consumers. What are you seeing as you look ahead? Yeah, so I'm super optimistic and excited about a couple things. So one is there's a tough year ahead for startups. This is what I heard at JPM from the VCs. They're holding their powder dry. They're waiting for consolidation among point solutions into true platforms. They're turning away from some of the overinflated enthusiasm that they had for things like the size of your user base or the elegance of your product and more towards the fundamentals. Do you have revenue? Is it recurring? Does it recur annually? So I think while I I am deeply sympathetic to my friends who are trying to do really important new things this year and finding it difficult to raise, I think at the end of the year, we're going to see the cream really rise to the top. There's going to be some startup solutions that are going to be validated by this tough year, going to consolidate into not just doing diabetes, but doing the five most common chronic conditions in any population so that they can scale quickly. I think people are going to start to diversify 
the way they do consumer engagement so that it's not just get my app, but we're going to see you can interact with me by voice or you can interact with me through just phone only or I'll come to your house if you don't want to come to me. I'm seeing really cool stuff like that where it's it's you know very much a, a choose your own adventure on the consumer's part, which makes it way easier for them to do the things that they're supposed to do in terms of doing PT at home with your TV as opposed to having to drive across the city, you know, for a 45 minute appointment or being able to report, I'm taking this medication as I'm supposed to, but it makes me feel bad. Can somebody change it out for something that has fewer side effects without me having to go to seven doctors and 12 pharmacies? So I'm really excited about things like that. And I think this this year is going to be a proving ground of sorts. The second thing I'm excited about is its adolescent phase of tools like AI and ML. We had a little bit of exuberance in the infant stage where we're like, ah, oh, they're going to replace doctors. They're going to be... No, no, they're not. Actually, their AI and ML are going to do really boring tasks <laughs> really well. And it may not be the spectacular future that we all envisioned, but it's going to have tremendous value. So if I can record with everybody's permission, the physician and patient interaction and digest it automatically using natural language processing into the medical record to populate a claim and to send that out in an easily readable, literacy appropriate level to the caregivers and families without anybody having to touch a button, that's amazing. That's a huge gain. That allows all of the the caregivers and the clinicians to spend more time doing what they do, which is hands on the patient. So I'm very excited about that. Now, I do think in the future, the test of a good doctor will be if they use AI, not replaced by, but I think in the future, a physician who is not expected to know the entirety of human medical knowledge, but instead uses AI to guide clinical decision-making appropriately, will be a better physician but I think we're starting to be more realistic about the roles that AI and ML can can play. And, and AWS has some fa- fabulous services that are proving out exactly that. So I'm excited about that. And then the third thing where I see really cause for a lot of optimism and a lot of investment potential is in a renewed emphasis on population health. That it's not just delivery of what we used to call cut and drug. It's not just what the physician does to you that determines your health. And this is bringing it all the way back to where you started so elegantly with the idea of how healthcare industry is changing. It's are your family and community and coworkers involved in helping you be healthy and make healthy choices? Do you have the support of that community? Do you have caregivers and clinicians who understand you and your unique cultural context? Do you know what you're supposed to do next? And is it easy for you to take that next step? I'm starting to see a new way of thinking about delivering basic healthcare in that context that I'm really excited about. You know, that's not a new idea. That's been the basic operating principle of public health, but I am very excited to see us returning to that. That is fabulous. And I'm not going to do justice by uh, recapping what I heard, but uh, I, I encourage our audience to to absolutely tune in and listen again to those three major trends that you're looking into. One final question before we wrap up. What recommendations or or advice do you have for startups that are starting from the ground up in healthcare, health tech in 2023? Not around necessarily fundraising, but in general. Yeah, I would say that uh, it's a great time 
to start a healthcare startup, even with the scarcity of VC, even with the current market macro conditions, it's a great time to do it. A, a, the entire industry, and it's a big industry, it's $4 trillion, is desperate for solutions. And some of the old reasons why folks were very risk averse have started to change. The 21st Century Cures Act opens a lot of doors that were closed before. They allow data sharing in really new and exciting ways. They clarify some of the things that HIPAA permits and does not permit. And they give the it gives the consumer a lot more control over their healthcare data. And you have to think of healthcare data, even though I I am a hardliner on, you know, the, the patient owns their data and they should have free and unfettered access to it, full stop. But think of data in healthcare as an asset. It's not so much you looking at it, but it's who you decide to share it with that really matters. So I think that that we're going to see some exciting things there. So I think the wise advice to a startup would be to familiarize yourself with the outer limits of what's now permissible under the 21st Century Cures Act and think about ways you can get involved in things like real-world data collection for clinical trials or everyday health tracking for incentives to stay well or new models for physicians who are trying to give better care in a community-based setting and just don't have the ability to comb through 50,000 individuals every day to figure out who needs their help. How can you help them direct resources to the person who's about to experience a bad health event? So I see a lot of promise there. The other advice I would give is that because of the fragmentation and unfortunately a lot of the siloed behavior in healthcare, it's not enough just to have a doctor. Having a doctor is great. Doctors are fantastic. They're the, obviously the top of the pinnacle when it comes to the medical you know, system, but they did not have a lot of training in healthcare business or how claims work or reimbursement or policy in medical school. They were busy learning how to treat people. So make sure that in addition to a clinician, you also have somebody who has a health policy degree or a financial management degree in healthcare or a public health degree or a public administration degree, as I shamelessly talk about myself. But I think a lot of people think that, you know, oh, that can be learned or I'm going to disrupt it anyway, so it's not worth knowing or the doctor knows. Not so. It'll save you a couple years of banging your head against a wall if you have somebody who can really sit down understand the healthcare reimbursement landscape and modify and sharpen your go-to-market. Listen, I really appreciate this time. I feel like we have a lot more to talk about, but unfortunately running out of time. If uh, people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way? Absolutely. So feel free to share my LinkedIn profile. It has my connect with me information right there. Also, I encourage everybody who's interested in what we're doing at AWS with startups to search out the AWS public sector blog. That's where we post all of our new stuff. Everything that we do is there. And it also has contact information for the right team at Amazon. So if you want to join up with us and be a part of what we're trying to do, we welcome that. So, you know, Shiva, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Amanda. You didn't need to uh, try hard at all. Uh, you are a wealth of knowledge. Very fortunate uh, to have met you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for making time for us. It was a pleasure to have you. And with that, thank you everyone for tuning in. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. 
And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.